Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast, where we learn from members about the property sector and at the same time get to know your industry colleagues a little bit better. Hi, my name is Chelsea, and today we're interviewing Cameron Leggett. My guest today is in charge of the development portfolio of the national company Fraser's Property Australia. Cameron Leggett became the Executive General Manager of Development in mid-2019 after serving as the business's General Manager of Residential in Queensland. It's a big job, leading 350-plus staff nationally that are delivering 18,000 lots in the pipeline across some 40 projects. Surprisingly, Cameron never set out to be a developer, instead starting his career as a property valuer. But his passion for seeing tangible outcomes has led him to this path. As an ex-UDIA Queensland board member, Cameron is well across the Queensland market from an advocacy standpoint, in addition to his vast market experience. Fraser's Property Australia is a great supporter of UDIA nationally as well as Queensland. I'm grateful for the time Cameron has given up today to have a chat out of what is no doubt a busy schedule. Welcome, Cameron. Thank you. Good to be here. So I guess the purpose of this podcast is to get to know industry colleagues a bit better and learn about how you spend your days and what motivates you, why you get out of bed in the morning and be part of the Queensland property industry every day. So I'd like to start with some warm-up questions about uh, what a typical day looks like for you. Yeah, not a problem. Look, it is, it is very varied and that's, you know, that's what I love about the industry and it's probably, you know, the thing that first got me into property was the, the fact that I thought, oh, great, you're not stuck behind a desk all day. You get out and about and, you, you know, you see different things. But now I'm in my role. It, look, it's, it is, it's very diverse depending on what's going on in the business. And it can range from, you know, working on new acquisitions, sitting in sales and marketing meetings, working on how we're structuring the teams, looking at strategy, financial side of things. So it no day is the same. And, um, you know, I do have an underlying passion for property. I love creating things and I love design and getting great outcomes. But I think the diversity of the role is, you know, what I love most about it. And as you know, the Institute has invested heavily in its research. And a big part of that is understanding the community's position on critical development issues. Look, a big thing that we have is that people by and large don't trust developers. <laughs> How do you think we got here? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And you're 100% right. And the, the research does show that, that people are, you know, I guess they're very nervous when they hear the word developer and um, they're very suspicious. And, and I think the, the thing that's probably a little bit of a shame is that 95 or 99% probably of developers out there creating, you know, new communities or new retail centres, office buildings, medical centres, whatever it is, are doing a really good job. But the industry has been probably tarred with the lowest common denominator. So look, at it, it really is on us now as an industry to continually improve to really look to be more consultive and inform the local community when you're coming in there and and try and break down the barriers and um, obviously keep trying to develop excellent, high-quality communities and, and getting great property outcomes. When I was doing my research and saw you started out as a valuer, I was excited to talk to you because I know there's an interesting dynamic between developers and valuers. Uh, we held a webinar last year, I think it was in April actually, with the API, and it was interesting to see the sentiment of some members towards valuers. What advice can you give to people when they're dealing with valuers? Yeah, look, I did start out as a valuer and look, it's, um, 
you're right, it can be a frustration in the relationship between developer and valuer. I will state that I, um, look, I love my time as being a valuer. I thought it was a great, le- you know, a great place to learn how to assess value and, and, and also learn about how you research a market. But I think the thing with valuation is, is that it's, um, they're under time pressure. They're under pretty strict instructions on how to value. And at the end of the day, it's not an exact science. So you ne- it's not A plus B equals C. So you, you are going to get times where valuations aren't going to value up. Look, from our point of view, I think our focus is probably not so much on the value or it's about creating high quality, high amenity, great products and communities where the value speaks for itself. But in saying that, we do have issues where, you know, from time to time, we do have uh, properties not valuing up. And it's more about trying to work with the customer because you normally, the person that's impacted is the person buying and they could be in a situation where they feel like they're going to lose their property. And, if, in, you know, if it's in a scenario where people are looking to step in and take their place because, you know, we we don't have a, a many properties left, it's working with them and trying to get them through the process and then, you know, trying to assist with, you know, work with the value to see if we can get an outcome. So it's, it's just, you've just got to be, be proactive about it. And it sounds like there's definitely that element from what I've researched, whether the customer experience is certainly a focus at phrases from, you know, the beginning through to, hey, it's move-in day and welcome. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. Look, I, I think it is a massive focus at phrases. It's probably one of our key focus areas. And we're, you know, we're unashamed about that. With our customers, we don't have a business. And I know that's very cliche, but it's 100% correct. And like customer experience also doesn't start you know, the minute you start selling either, you know, it's, it starts before you buy a site, it's, it's right through the acquisition process, through to design, master planning, getting the quality of the product right, quality outcome at the, you know, on the, in the street, it, all those sorts of elements, and then to handing over aftercare service or management, whatever the, the case may be. So it's something that we we do heavily focus on. We, um, we have a, 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 a CX or customer experience strategy uh, phrases, and it's something that we're looking to take to the next level in the coming years. Being a marketer, I know the value of a good brand, and it seems phrases has invested a lot in theirs. There's still some in the industry that don't understand the importance of brand and, and how that translates to actually selling a property. What would you say about the value of brand and its contribution to your success at phrases? Oh, it's, yeah, it's immense. It's, you know, it sits right alongside the customer piece for us. Fraser's has a history back to 1924, so we're coming up on 100 years. So brand to us is is highly important. And um, look, to be honest, you don't, you can't just go out and go oh, and say, oh, we think brand's important. It's, it's in all the little steps you do along the journey of developing a property and looking after a customer. So it's an everyday thing. And you're only as good as your last development. So it's something you can't let up on. So it is something that we talk about a lot. We've got strategies around it. It, it is all down to those little one percenters. And if we get that right, it's that's where we see customers and their feedback at a high level. And that's when the brand comes into its own because that's when you get repeat purchasing, you get advocacy. And if you've got a business that can do that, you've, you've got a very you've got a point of difference and you've got a really strong, resilient business. 2020 was a wild ride. How did it impact phrases? Oh, look, it was a wild ride. Um, and me personally, look, I, I took, as you mentioned, I took the role in mid-2019. It's a national role. So, look, I was flying around the country. I was, you know, in airports a lot. And then, you know, bang, mid-March, we're all at home. So, um, look, we were pretty lucky and fortunate. We had good 
systems and technology. So moving everyone to a, a remote setting was pretty seamless, but it was, you know, like everyone experienced, it was just so left field. It, you know, there was a huge amount of uncertainty. And for a few months there, it was pretty hairy. We didn't know what was, you know, what was, I guess, coming in ahead of us. So looking back now, um, we've been really fortunate to be in Australia. We all know that. Look, the Victorians have done it a lot tougher. You go down there, they're only still back to 50% in the office. So we've got people in Victoria have only, you know, in essentially nearly 12 months have only been in the office a handful of times. So, it, you know, Queensland, New South Wales and, and WA, the other states where we operate, have had such a different experience to the team down there. But I think if I was going to say the silver lining, I think it's we've all learned that we can do things remotely. So I think that's a huge opportunity for for us as a business in maybe how we work. There's definitely the ability to be more flexible and hopefully that creates the opportunity for people to have more work-life balance and um, we attract better talent. What did that mean for you? Obviously, you manage a, a national team, as you say, but I imagine you were largely confined to Queensland. Did that mean more teams meetings? Were you sick of being on camera? Were you reverting cam- yeah. to <laughs> old school phone calls? Because you're like, if I have to do another teams meeting, I might explode. A little bit of that, because <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day you can stare at a screen. Yes. And it's funny, look, before mid-March, I didn't even know what Microsoft Teams was. <laughs> we were jumping on Skype um, and then Teams became the platform, the thing. The thing. But you're 100% right, like hour after hour, staring at the screen, there were times where I'm like, I've I've got to have a break. And I think everyone went through that, you know, just fatigue of sitting at your desk. It is interesting. I I was surprised at the power of being able to view people uh, you know, online. That, I thought that was, you know, it was better than I thought it would be. And, you know, you do think if this happened 20 years ago, how would we actually dealt with it? Um, the technology is now there. So, um, yeah, a lot more on Teams. When the borders have opened, I have got it, you know, I've, you know, I've travelled quickly, so I have, you know, I've been down to New South Wales um, a couple of times through, throughout 2020. I've been to, w, I got to WA and I got down to Victoria. And you got back, clearly. And got back. <laughs> so, so you, you know, that's, you know, I've, I have got around, but I, I think we've all been, I think we've all sat back now and I know we have as a business and gone, geez, do we need to be on planes as much as we, we once were? Look, I was, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, I was packing my suitcase of a Sunday night and getting up at 4am and I was on the first flight out. So it's, um, I'm certainly not doing that anymore. You know, I think that's a positive, so to be honest. And taking on that national role, were you contemplating a move to another state? Yes. <laughs> and um, early last year, pre the onset of COVID, you know, we were definitely in the headspace, my wife and I, of moving to Sydney. But as the year, I'm, you know, sort of played out, and we started talking about, okay, what's the new norm as a business of phrases? We've landed on working three days in the office and you can have two days flexible. That doesn't mean you can't be in the office five days a week. And in what I found in places like Queensland and WA, people are in the office more than not. Um, and that's generally because commute times are quite good. But when you go to a place like Sydney where the average commute's about an hour, if people can have a few days a week where they do work from home or just go to the site, that's four hours in their week. They can go drop their kids off to school. It's actually worked out a lot better. So we're trying to be really adaptive um, and responsive to the situation. And with that in mind, um, look, at this point in time, I'm sort of holding firm in Queensland and um, looking to 
travel when, when, when I can. And look, at the moment, when the borders are open to New South Wales, I'm down there two, three days a week. And then hopefully, let's hope, fingers crossed, with the the vaccine being rolled out and look, it looks like it's under control at the moment here in Australia, that maybe we've sort of bridged, you know, we're getting over that bridge and we are into a new normal. So. And how are you finding work-life balance? I mean, obviously a national job would be impacting your family. I assume you have children. Are they like, see you, Dad, or great to have you back, or, or did you did you leave? I didn't see you. Yeah, look, at, <laughs> like, look I think everyone juggles work-life balance. Um, a lot of people travel for their work as well. So I do. I've got two kids. My daughter's 11, my son's nine. So it is always something you've got to, you know, you're always considering. You're always missing out on a few bits and pieces, especially when you're away. But I think, you know, it's... You know that's just that's part of life, and I, but I think what we've got to do is knowing that, and you know, as someone who's sort of looking at our business and with a lot of staff, is trying to create an environment and a workplace where people can have the best of both worlds. So how can we create more flexible arrangements for our staff, and you know, so that they can, you know, see their families, get home from dinners, do do some drop offs and not feel like they're sacrificing too much. And I also think if we can do that exceptionally well, we get the talent and, um, you know, retaining good talent, retaining female talent as well. The mum is normally the one that, you know, the, a lot of the home duties fall on the falls on the mum. So if we can create an environment where there is that flexibility, hopefully we keep the high-performing women. And we've got good examples of that in the business. And um, so that's the aim and that's what we're talking about. So you talk about retention there. Ten plus years at any one company is a long time these days. What's kept you at Fraser's? Uh, the culture we have. Yeah, look, it's something we talk is. It is one of the other sort of pillars we talk about it a huge amount and, and trying to create a great, fun place to work, but also that's you know of a, a high performance is you know what we're trying to achieve. And look, it's funny. I'm yeah. Look, I'm coming up on eleven years. But when you look through the executive, a lot of people have been in Fraser's 15, 20 years. So we've got a real, you know, we do have a lot of people that have been with the business a long time. Um, and I think that's a that's a great thing. So um, I think it's a, a good sign for our business. And look, we do look, we do have a rigorous HR process. We've got culture surveys. We, we put, a, you know, every business does their own culture plan. So there, it's something we do put a lot of attention and focus on. Diversity from the outside looking in also seems to be really important to Fraser's. Why is that? Look, we think it's important, you know, having diversity of view in the room. My experience and the experience of, of Fraser's is if you get that good mix of opinion and, and it is fully considered and it's a safe environment where everyone can speak up, you undoubtedly get better ideas. So it's not easy just to create diversity overnight and, and, and at times you've got to take leaps of faith and, you know, make moves and, and, and that's the thing that we try and do. So, and look, a couple of examples of that, we've got a... Um, a couple of really good development directors who are, you know, female development directors at the moment. Um, one's in Sydney, Simone Dye. She started with us as uh, in a design role. She was head of design. She now runs one of our biggest projects down in New South Wales. So at, down there at Shell Cove in Wollongong, it's got, you know, she's looking after 40 plus staff down there. It's a huge marina development with apartments, land, retail. So it's got all elements and she's doing an awesome job. But that was someone pulled out of design into a role like that because we thought she had the capability, the bandwidth, and and she's, you know, now flourished. So it's you look at that and you go, that's fantastic. Up in Queensland, we've got Jamison Rivera, who was a head of marketing. 
Jams has got a great property knowledge as well. And um, we've pulled her into a DD role, development director role. And now she's running our first built to rent project in the business. So, and doing a fantastic job. So it's, I think you've got to think outside the box at times. And you probably traditionally wouldn't have said, oh, they're the right. If they came in on a resume, you'd probably go, oh, they don't, they don't have all these experience and you could make some excuses. And you've just got to put the support mechanisms around. And what we've found is if you've got the right people, they flourish, they perform. Yeah, I also think when you invest in people that are already in the business, it only further contributes to the culture because other employees can see that you're recognising talent and rewarding it. You're not doing the old hiring and poaching, which I think is something that adds to a culture. Yeah, totally agree. I just want to go back to the market. How did Home Builder impact your business last year? Yeah, very positively. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. But, yeah, uh, look, it was the tale of two tiers in a way. Um, look, it had a huge impact in land, the land estates, there's no doubt. More of an impact in Victoria, Queensland and WA. New South Wales, it probably didn't have as huge an impact because of the price caps and a few things like that. And then if you look at the apartment market, it just didn't qualify. So from a land point of view, it, yeah, look, it's you can see the volumes that have been um, reported in the market and you can see the building approvals as well that, you know, they're gone through the roof, so to speak. So the encouraging thing was uh, for us was that the economy held up a lot better than we thought. And even with projects that didn't qualify for home building, we, we've had a range of projects that didn't qualify in the apartment space and townhouse space, actually. They still, you know, have sold reasonably well. So that's, you know, it's been a real positive. I think consumer confidence probably held a lot better than people thought it would. I think it was very doom and gloom when we first kind of were stepping into what would happen with the pandemic. But the market in Brisbane at least seems to be hot. Dusting off your crystal ball, what do you think 2021 holds yeah, the market. <laughs> it is a good question. Look, Home Builder finishes up at the end of March and there's stimulus rolling out. So I think that's, a, you know, people have got their eye on that. What does that mean? My view is interest rates are still low. I think um, I think Australia is in a good economic position and have, you know, has managed the pandemic well. The economy is performing better than we thought. So I'm quite optimistic about 2021. I think, I think you're right. Like when we were back, like March, April, May last year, I think everyone was like, what could this be? What could this mean? We're seeing the images coming out from overseas and like I still remember those first images out of Italy and places like that and it was like, oh, my God, we've never seen anything like that. And to fast forward to where we are now, I think Australia's in a really good position. I think the next step is how do we get the world vaccinated and um, how do we get our international borders open and how do we get things like tourism going again, students back into the country. I think they're the real big next milestones. And look, if we can navigate that in the next 12, 24 months, I think, like, geez, you'd have to say we've done a pretty good job. Yeah, I think hopefully that uh, 2021 will be a much better year. I think everyone was kind of ready to say goodbye to 2020. And I've noticed a bit of that language creeping in about our post-COVID and like, well, not really post-COVID. I think we're more in a living with COVID space. So what do you think the permanent changes might be to your business that came out of COVID? Yeah, and I think I agree with you. I think everyone everyone got to New Year's Eve and went, oh, thank God 2020's done. You know, I don't want to hear about COVID anymore. And, and look, we're in a pretty good position, but right before Christmas, there was a lockdown in New South Wales, Northern Beaches. A lot of people couldn't come up to Queensland for the holidays. And since 
Christmas, we've had lockdowns in Brisbane, we've had a lockdown in Perth, we've had a lockdown in Victoria. So it's, yeah, we're not post-COVID. I think we're living with COVID, so I agree with you. Hopefully the vaccine flows through, but that's going to take some time as well. So I think we're still in it living with COVID, even though we're living with it very well. Look, I think post-COVID, I think the big thing that will come out of it is, um, look, if the vaccine's effective, a lot of things will return to normal. I think the big thing is people have realised what they can do from a flexible work point of view and technology. So I do think you'll see that flexible, those flexible work arrangements come into play. I think you'll see people be, you know, not having to jump on planes as much. They're happy to have Teams meetings. Look, pre-COVID, no one would have flicked on their camera. You know, it was one of those things where you just would have hopped on, no one had cameras on. So people have sort of learned how to do that. So I think they'll be the, you know, they're the things that probably will come out of it. And they're good learnings, you know. It's... I think that's uh, that's the thing. It's finding those silver lining pieces and and trying not to step back into old habits for us. I think is 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 probably going to be the key thing. Well, it's been amazing chatting to you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks so much, Cameron. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the UDA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And if you want to hear more episodes, visit udiaqld.com.au forward slash podcasts. Send us your comments and questions via marketing at udiaqld.com.au. Remember to subscribe, rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. We'll be releasing a new episode every month, so we look forward to having you back. Mm-hmm.